The previous episode saw the crew, trapped at the seafloor, begin to argue amongst themselves. And one man stepped over the line, and poisoned another. Here is part 3 of, At the Bottom of the Sea. Believe it or not, I am standing in a murder scene, two kilometers beneath the surface of the Atlantic Ocean. Ari's body lies stretched out on the floor. Katya, his girlfriend, has been hysterical, and Storm has had to give her some calming shots. She is sleeping at the moment. Storm concludes that it is poisoning, probably from his coffee, which is spilt across the carpet. We could dust for prints, but somehow I don't think whoever did this was that stupid. <laughs> Katya is lying on her bed, sobbing as I enter. Her door is open, and I knock respectfully, and ask her with my kindest voice, Are you all right, Katya? I sit next to her, and suddenly she places her hand on mine. It wasn't sexual. We sit like this for a while, she stretched out and me seated. Eventually, I get up and say, I must go now, Katya. Will you come back? she asks. I reassure her that I will be back. I almost certainly will be back. I had to make my way through the throng in the mess room. What had happened? Who had done it? They all pissed at me for information. I know nothing, I said as I entered the colonel's office. He was walking back and forth while he was letting out his frustrations on Storm, who was listening patiently from a chair in the corner. When I came in, he stopped and looked at me. Any ideas? he asked. Just as I was shutting the door behind me, Inga appeared and forced her way in. She might have seen something. She had argued with Fatima and gone for a walk. Just as she entered Ari's corridor, she had seen the back of a man with a red neck scarf passing around the corner, just briefly. It was only for a moment, and she couldn't possibly recognize who it was. The colonel smiled, looked at us all, and said, Don't mention this to anyone. So began our almost in vain search for a red neck scarf. This was not a military base, and people were free to wear what they wanted. But could we really make a search of the whole base without causing a commotion? I preferred to do this quietly. I was passing by Katya's room one evening, when I glanced through the door, and could see her sitting on her bed with a knife in her hand. Something came over me. I was afraid she might harm herself, so I made a small knock on the door, and looked away while she put her knife aside. I entered, and we talked. What did we know? she asked. Her eyes seemed so in earnest, and I didn't know what to do. I admit I was weak, so I told her about the red neck-scarf, but I also told her not to say a thing, as it might tip the villain off. We parted, and somehow I felt a little better although there was a part of me who knew that I had stepped out of line. I am not used to dealing with women, you see.
Katya and I were getting along just fine now that idiot Adi was out of the way. She had smiled at me, and I really thought we had some kind of special connection. I thought this was my big chance of getting intimate with her. So I pinched a bottle of wine from large storage space and made another visit to her room. She smiled when she saw the bottle of wine. She looked very tired, though. It was kind men like me who made life worth living, she said. We sat next to each other on the bed for a while, and she touched my hand again. But this time, she actually leaned over and kissed me. I was in heaven, so I kissed back. There was a chill in the room, so I put on my neck scarf. Then she froze. What is it? I asked. She looked at me and got up. I have a knife somewhere, she said. Have you seen it? A knife? What are you going to do with it? For a moment she seemed very confused. Then she smiled, kissed me on the cheek and said, I have to be off to work now. Sorry, we can talk later. Then she got out and left. It was all a little bizarre. After Abelson was arrested and placed under lock and key, I had to comfort Katya. She had rushed into his cell and insisted they let her talk to him. Abelson had told her he loved her, and she knew then that he was completely insane. But she couldn't get over the fact that he served her wine after he had killed her boyfriend, and that he had kissed her. She thought him a monster, no better than a predator. I gave her a hug and agreed with her. Now I was faced with a terrible dilemma. I had to find some sort of appropriate punishment. Death? Abelson was locked in a tiny cell for now. I looked at Storm and asked his opinion. I think we both know we need to get ashore now. We really do, he said. And he was right. The probe was nearly at the surface, and we were all watching the screens on the command bridge. We all cheered when the data came in. Surface temperature normal. Slight breeze. There were no radio signals, though. And it was dead quiet. Even so, it was decided that an expedition was to be sent ashore. I have never seen such happy faces as when the news was spread via the intercom. Some even cried, I think. The fact that there were no radio signals really bothered me, but I said nothing. There were always radio signals of some kind. I kept my mouth shut, but I decided to lead the expedition ashore myself, and I wanted Frank, Gunderson, and Storm with me, as well as a few others. Frank, because he was the best man in a crisis, and Gunderson for the muscle. He still bore a grudge against me for shooting him in the foot. It had taken over a month to heal. As the submarine broke the surface that morning, we opened the top hatch and let the fresh air flow down into the hull. One after another, we all popped out our heads out of the top hatch and admired the mainland in the distant horizon, a huge dark shadow that grew in size as we approached. It was 
early morning as we sailed to port in the town of Storhopen in Troms. It was not a large settlement, but we noticed no cars in the way in, and there were no lights showing. There was a slight cover of snow on the hilltops along the shoreline. Morning was breaking as we docked. It was cloudy, and not a soul was about. No cars or noise anywhere, not even a bird. We walk up Main Street, but the shops seem vandalized, as if a mob had gone berserk, windows smashed and goods torn from their shelves. There were no lights anywhere. There was a blackout. At the end of the road we found Harmna Store Center, the local shopping mall. The front door was crushed and the entrance was wide open. It was then I suggested that we help ourselves to what we need. The others nod and begin to fill some shopping carts with canned food. Suddenly we hear something. A man clears his throat and they detect movement behind some shelves. Is there anyone there? I move to have a look. I can't find anything behind the aisles, but just as I turn, I stare straight into the face of an elderly man. You've lost your way, he says. Oh, I'm so glad to see another human being, I reply, and stretch out my hand to say hello. You've lost your way, the old man continues. The others have now arrived. The man repeats the same sentence several times, and we all realize that he is not sane. We can't leave him, Storm says. He'll have to come with us. I'll take him and the groceries to the main street, Gunderson says. Uh, I'll, I'll look for a pharmacy, Edwardson says, and continues alone. He climbs the stairs to the second floor. It was rather bizarre walking through a world where everything in every shop is up for grabs. Empty chairs in the restaurants, desolate corridors, with only the sound of my footsteps echoing. Then suddenly I hear something. There is music from a small music box, the kind that my grandmother gave me. I follow the sound and stop in front of a toy shop. Through the window I see a little girl playing with what I assume is a doll in a stroller. I stop in the doorway and watch her. Now you must sleep, she tells her doll, which is hidden beneath a blanket. She rocks the stroller back and forth and says, soon you'll be big. Hello, what is your name? I say. The girl hides in a corner. You mustn't take her away from me, the girl says. She is mine. Sure, I reply. Where are mum and dad? Daddy has left me. Who takes care of you, then? Grandpa. Okay, let's go and meet Grandpa. We must bring Leonora. Sure, push the stroller this way. We all met up in the main street. Hans Storm walks in front and the girl follows with her stroller. They meet the old man and the others and begin to make their way down to the docks. Grandpa, I have brought Leonora says the little girl. You've lost your way, says the old man. Suddenly there is a sound of thundering and two meteors, balls of fire, fall from the sky straight into the ground further up the street. Everybody's stunned. They're coming, says the little girl. Who is coming, asks Storm. 
Before she has a chance to reply, several spider-like creatures crawl out of the craters and approach us with great speed. They have sharp jaws, dripping with slime, and many hairy feet that carry them swiftly across the cobblestones. Run! And we all dash for the docks. The old man, however, does not increase his pace. When I look over my shoulder, I hear a scream and the old man falls as is eaten by the creatures. We didn't have time to watch the tragedy of the old man. We ran, carrying all we could. We made it to the submarine and climbed on board, panting and shivering with fright. Leonora, the little girl shouts and stretches for her stroller. Storm, that idiot, climbs down and lifts it on board before we secure the hatch and slide away from the pier. We head out to sea at full speed. A large, moving disk, obviously a spaceship, slides across the nearby ridges as we make our escape. Searchlights emanating from the ominous machine scan for our submarine, but we dive at the very last moment. I was there to meet them at the airlock when they arrived at the base. I was just happy they made it back alive. They had not used the radio for fear it might be picked up by the creatures. The rest of us knew nothing, and when the colonel told us, we thought he was joking. A man had died, but some provisions had made it on board. Also, there was a mute child. I followed Hans Storm into a room where he could talk to the girl. He was good with children. It was obvious that he was a father himself. Hans Storm and the little girl with her stroller sit quietly. I fetch some food. They don't talk much while they eat. When they are done, Hans looks kindly at the little girl and says, I too have a daughter called Leonora. May I see your doll? He walks up to the stroller and looks in. At that moment, a spider-like creature leaps up at him. I scream. He manages to tear himself free, but the creature crawls along the floor and disappears into the corridor. What the hell? Help! Help! He cries. You have just heard part 3 of At the Bottom of the Sea. Find out what happens in part 4.